0: Show me the way to go home. Uncle Luke has a great story to get us all home. You know Uncle Luke, you know that guy that was friends with all of Jesus' friends? Well, anyhow, Luke's got his story all ready to go, and he starts the story off with God's signature move. Come on in. Let's check it out. Luke chapter 1, verse 5 to 25. It's awesome. to the biblical channel. Always glad people are showing up because we love talking about the Bible and we know that the best thing we can do is talk about God. Anyhow, the Bible is God's book, man. Um, It's the way it works. And when we read our Bibles better and we, you know, just simply wring out the chamois of this life to its absolute fullest, read your Bible, say your prayers, uh, get together, talk God. That's the essence of life and that's that's as simple as God makes it for us. It's not hard stuff, and and we're the ones who make things hard. Anyhow, this story that you know Luke is about to write out um, as God played it out. It, I was re- uh, impressed by ESPN. They had a commercial on recently, and ESPN comes on it, and, and and the big title of their commercial is the greatest story ever played. Okay, uh, you know. I love it. I love a play on words, but the greatest story ever played from ESPN standpoint. And then the commentator gets on, and he talks about how the greatest of all stories have magic, they have power, and they, you know, once in a while, even have miracles. And I thought, well, brother, you're ready for the Bible. You know, I mean, and if ESPN knows this about humanity, that we're just wired for great stories and great stories you know, have some magic and some power, and you know, once in a while, some miracles. Well, if ESPN knows this. How much more does God know this? And God does know this. And and my big point of view is that the Bible is notoriously read poorly. Uh, people put their downer face on when they read the Bible. Not me, brother. I pick up uh, my my smile whenever I read the Bible because I think God is hilarious. I think he puts together the best story. Uncle Luke here. Uncle Luke, you know, the guy who was, you know, the friend of uh, best friends with Jesus' best friends, has a story for us. You know, God's loved, you know, like we talked last week, God's fillies, and even more than that, oh, that's going to be good. So anyhow, before we go any further, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. Amen. You know, I'll tell you what, you pray that prayer, it gets your head going in the right direction. Jesus knew what he was doing when he told us how to pray like that. Anyhow, let's jump into, uh, you know, Luke. We're going to read it in two sections. Luke chapter 1, verse 1 to uh, 25. Okay, so let's just read it. Um, I'll read the first section and we'll talk about it. And that's all you do with the Bible, by the way. You know, to get the most out of it, just read it and talk about it with somebody. So read it with somebody nearby. You know, get this video out. You know, with somebody nearby, get your Bibles out, the video out. You know, anyhow, maybe after you get done watching this Bible, this video, you'll be able to just talk about it better. Anyhow, okay. Here's 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 the words. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he and his wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They both were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And a whole multitude of people were praying outside Uh, at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Okay, let's stop and pause. Okay, because this story takes a dramatic, you know, turn. Um, What is just set in the very normalcy of routine all of a sudden takes a strange turn. There's an angel standing by the altar nobody expected that anyhow so let's back up for a second Herod Herod King of Judea if you're a history buff this is a real dude of course he's a career politician he's got uh, let's just say he's got his nose up Caesar's butt Caesar Augustus uh, is the true man in charge who is the Caesar of Rome and Herod, being a career politician, really made uh, a name for himself in front of uh, Caesar, and so Caesar made him king of Judea. Uh, But he is a Romophile, which means the people of Judah, they're not impressed. They don't like this guy. They are sick and tired of being sick and tired, ruled over by the Romans. Before that, it was, you know, the uh, Alexander the Great before that. It was just everybody and their brother has been ruling over Israel ever since they got kicked out of the Promised Land, and God was responsible for that because they needed to learn a few things. Um, but anyhow, they're sick and tired of, of these politicians with you know, you know, the games that they play with the Jewish people, and they're longing for the day when God will make all things right again for them. Anyhow, here we go. The story is, is not anchored in fiction. This story is anchored in history, and that's the way the Bible reads. You know, these are historical things that are verified in other places. The Bible doesn't, you know, make itself into a fiction, a fairy tale, uh, even though, I mean, its it's got all the components thereof, but it is anchored in reality. It is anchored in history, and the point is, is that God plays out his story right smack in the middle of the wide-open world, that we all live in and that other people lived in. This is not a story that comes out of secrecy. This is a story that plop plops itself right into the middle of humanity and, you know, the historical events are important to Luke's story to remind us just that. The Bible reads as a history. What you think about that well that's going to be between you and God but uh, the Bible's doing its best work to uh, show you that hey these are real days real people real events um, real time frames that you can go check out well anyhow Zechariah and Elizabeth they are uh, you know people from the former nation of Israel they're trying to make a go of it with Roman charge but Zechariah and Elizabeth they're just little people um, they are from the tribe of Levi if you know anything about the history of israel from the old part of the bible you know that god indeed made a nation and out of that nation he divided them into 12 tribes and one of the tribes was levi which didn't have any land it was the uh the 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 tribe that moved around as priests to help instruct everybody they were the priesthood um is is usually misunderstood by people the biblical priesthood uh, most of its time is spent traveling as teachers. Um, they're supposed to be helpful to families to get God's word into their lives, to you know read it right, to do well by it. Um, so they're just traveling preachers, really. Yeah, they have some temple duties, but but now as time has gone on, really the only thing the temp, the tribe of Levi does, or the priesthood does, is the temple duties, which is a bit of a sad note because, and that's part of the backdrop to this story, right? That uh, Luke is going to show us that, you know, people aren't living in expectation the way God wants them to live in expectation, the way his story was told to them. They seem to have forgotten some of the missing pieces. Anyhow, this would be a career highlight moment for Zechariah. You know, he's an old guy now. well past the pregnancy years, and and uh, he gets his turn in the in the temple. So I'm I'm sure he sees it as like a kind of a capstone moment to his career, <laughs> you know. And and uh, but but really, I think what Luke is showing us is that you know the priesthood, just going through the motions. You know, it's it's not an exciting you know role. Uh, it's just been relegated to the form of duty, um, to the form of motions liturgies you know people just showing up going through the motions and we can relate to that man because that happens all the time but the priesthood is supposed to be a more dynamic group of people who are living um as the the you know kind of the memory uh, uh placers of god's words in people's minds you know they're supposed to be you know on top of it and uh here it doesn't seem like the priesthood is on top of it However, Elizabeth and Luke, or, or, I'm sorry, Elizabeth and Zechariah, good people. Luke makes it very clear these are really good people. He says they walk blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. You know, and so they are they are good people. And um, as and, and that is important to the storyline because there is a smackdown that is going to happen on old Zechariah. And we should be laughing at this SmackDown. That's why Luke, I think, spends, you know, a good bit of time reminding us these are good people. Don't say they're not good people. They are good people, but they've drifted, you know, just like good people often do. They drift, you know, into a kind of a staleness of life. You know, life itself gets very stale for most of us, at least at some point in time, and maybe for all of the points in time. and And Luke, uh, Luke is showing us here that Zechariah and Elizabeth, you know, they're they're good folk, um, and you know they do what they're supposed to do. Uh, they are good people, no doubt about that. But there is a smackdown in the story coming ahead. Um, they are old people; they have no children, um, which is a bit of a sadness, I'm sure, but a sadness that they probably got over uh, quite a while ago. Um, uh, Elizabeth and you know Zechariah are past the child pairing day. And I don't want to do a biology talk on with you, but you'll have to figure out what that means. But they are not able to have kids anymore. So old people, no children. Can you feel the God train coming? though? If it's a story about old people with no children and you're told that, shouldn't your memory bank be pricked to Genesis where Abraham and Sarah, also old people who are a bit clueless, um, all of a sudden? god enters their life so the answer is yes old people with no babies almost builds that anticipation that is around the bend that oh boy this is god's signature move isn't it it is god's signature move and it seems like zechariah well we'll get to that in a minute luke knows when he's writing all of this um luke knows what mark has written Uh, the book that we call Mark. Luke also knows what Matthew has written, you know, the book that we call Matthew. He knows what stories they contain. He's going to use a lot of those stories. That's why we call these three Gospels the Synoptic Gospels, because they have so much of the same material in them. But Luke also knows something else, and he told us this from the beginning. It's part of his mission to get more of the witnesses, the eyewitnesses' stories into writing because they're just simply so good that he's got to get them into writing and of course he's got the blessing of the eyewitnesses to get the rest of the good stories that have been circulating into writing and Matthew and Mark aren't going to have this story it's just too good of a story though and Luke wants to make sure we know this part of the story so it's a good story so have that attitude as we're reading this is a good story Read your Bible through Middle Eastern eyes and Jesus' eyes and through the eyes of optimism, and you'll get so much more out of it. So, again, there is nothing like the Bible, absolutely nothing. As I already mentioned, ESPN's latest commercial, you know, the greatest story ever played, you know, and great stories have a little magic, a little power, and and once in a while some miracles. Well, guess what? That is the formula we're going to see at play here as well. God is going to play out his story, um, and it is important for us to know that the Bible does not, surprisingly, the Bible does not overdo or overuse miracles. They are a part of God's role in playing out the story in a very fun and enlightening way. It is God, you know, right? I mean, If you're going to read a story about God, if you're going to read a story that God has put together and you're not expecting a little miracle every once in a while, you know, something that, you know, rearranges your brain a little bit, well, then I don't know why you, you know, I don't know what to say. Anyhow, the miracles as they are, you know, placed very strategically in the Bible are always part of a very rational part of a story that god is playing out and the goal is never to believe in the miracles the the goal is to enjoy god forever the miracle part of the story is meant to enlighten the story meant to have fun in the story to grip your attention and to pull you into a good loving relationship where you start enjoying god forever Well, that's the right way to see the miracles, and the miracles really are only serving the storyline. They're never the object of the story. God doesn't run around saying, look what I can do. It's not that at all. God is saying, I've got a great story for you, and I'm going to catch your attention with a few miraculous moments, we might say, so that you would listen in. Well, anyhow, the goal is not to believe in the miracles, but to believe and enjoy God forever. So come on, man. He made the place. He's the maker. And this this part of the story is already cluing us in to that part of the Bible, Genesis, where God announces that he is the one who has made the whole place. So if he has made the whole place, come on. God has the right to have a little fun and upset our apple carts every once in a while. And uh, people make a lot or a big to-do out of the miracles, and I say, you know, not so fast, because they are not really the feature. They're just the fun part that God is having in the story that he is playing out. And this story is going to play out uh, with a man named Zechariah and a, and a lady named Elizabeth, and it does bring up God's signature move, and that signature move goes straight back to Genesis chapter 12 when he, Announces his plan to bring a blessing to the world to Abraham and Sarah, who they are well past childbearing age. And indeed, by the time they get to be about a hundred years old, they finally have a baby. So Zechariah, Zechariah should be aware of this. So let's see how he responds, because this is where the smackdown is gonna happen. And Zechariah is gonna respond basically the way we would respond to. I suspect. Um, Anyhow, here's the rest of the story. Um, And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, the angel. A fear fell upon him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you good news. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time and the people uh, outside of the temple were waiting for Zechariah and they wondered what was going on because he was delayed in the temple and when he came out he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute and when his time of service was ended he went to his home and after these days his wife Elizabeth, conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And scene. Okay, so let's go back to the top, and that is, Your prayers have been answered, Zechariah. Okay, let's think about this for a second. Zechariah is not praying to have a baby what Zechariah is praying in the temple is that God would restore Israel once again. That is the standard prayer that's going on. Dear Lord, please restore Israel. That means, dear Lord, please get rid of Rome. Dear Lord, please get rid of Herod. He's corrupted. He's a politician. He's not really us. Dear Lord, Let us rise again. Let us get our land back. Let us kick Rome's butt. That is what Zechariah would have been praying because that is the standard priestly temple prayer. Um, And so that's what Zechariah is praying. And then the angel says, you're going to have a son, as if that is an answer to Zechariah's prayer. So a lot of fun going on here. The humor is beginning because there's, you know, Zechariah is clearly caught in what he considers to be a non sequitur. I think that's what he's really saying to the angel is, I don't get it. I don't get you. I don't get it. I was praying about Israel. Now you're talking about a son, and and I lost track maybe of a lot of those words, but this is crazy. Um, I'm going to have a son, and how is that an answer to my prayer? Yeah, we used to pray that prayer when we were young, but I'll you know I don't think Zechariah and Elizabeth have been praying this prayer recently. But also remember that a day is like a thousand years to God. You know, so your prayer that you prayed, you know, 40 years ago, it's pretty fresh to God. It's also part of the funny humor line. But the prayer that um, the angel says has been answered is the prayer to restore Israel. And that is what the subject of having a son in Zechariah and Elizabeth's old age is really about. So anyhow... The angel tells uh, John that, you, you know, you are going to have a son and he's going to be a fantastic biblical prophet. In fact, in fact, what he says about his son, John, is the perfect definition of a prophet. The perfect definition of a prophet is to turn the hearts of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. That's the what the prophet really does. The prophet in the Bible does not future tell. The prophet in the Bible turns the hearts of Israel to the Lord their God, goes before them in the spirit and power of Elijah, turns the hearts of the fathers to the children and, to the, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. The real prophet's aim and objective was just to get people back to God. And so the, the excitement that the angel is bringing to the table is that your son is going to be the last prophet. And the reason why we can say that is because you know the angel is referring to Elijah your son is going to be a prophet like Elijah your son is also going to be a prophet like Malachi and we know that because that little bit about he will go before him in spirit and power in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children well that's a direct quote from Malachi and interestingly enough Malachi is the last speaking prophet in Israel and 400 years has gone by from the last time that Israel had a true prophet. And so what this angel is basically doing is saying to Zechariah that the old, you know, the Bible as Zechariah had it, Genesis to Malachi. Genesis meaning the, you know, the highlight of Genesis was the birth of, of Isaac to Abraham and Sarah as proof that God had a plan to save the world, to actually bring his blessing into the world. The most substantial piece of the old part of the Bible, the gospel, the good news, as the angel brings up, the good news of the old part of the Bible is Genesis 12, when God makes an unconditional promise to Abraham that he is going to bring his blessing to the world. And then he wraps it up by saying, your son, you're going to have a son like Abraham and Sarah did. And, and your son is also going to be like Malachi and Elijah. And, and basically the message is the Bible's ending is happening. It's happening. It's coming. The Bible's ending is coming. Promise and fulfillment. That is the action of the Bible. God has made a promise and now it is time to fulfill that promise And you could probably guess, and you should be guessing, that he's not going to fulfill the promise the way that people are thinking. Zechariah thinks that the promise will be fulfilled whenever Rome's butt is kicked. But that is not the way God is going to fulfill his promise. He is going to fulfill his promise by bringing into the world who we know as Jesus Christ. But anyhow, um, John's role as a prophet will be point to the Messiah, to point to the Christ. And and that is what the Old Testament is pointing to. The whole old part of the Bible with the prophets is all pointing to God fulfilling his promise in the Messiah, and basically John's job, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, will be to point out the Messiah, the genuine Savior of the world. To everybody, and that's exactly what John will do. God is on the move again, though. That is the the beat of what the angel is saying. That is the vibe, man. God's on the move again. Woo woo! There's all kinds of excitement that the angel is bringing to the table. The angel's excited. You got to be reading that. He, the angel's excited about what he's telling Zechariah, and that's what makes this the the Zechariah's response so funny and so anticlimactical. God's God is moving his story in the lives of ordinary nobodies of the world. Zechariah is an average, ordinary nobody, but so was Abraham and Sarah. And so were all of the other characters that God brought into his story and played out his story in front of them. And so Zechariah can't see it. He can't see it. It's so anticlimactical in his response whenever, you know, and it's hilarious whenever you know, he said, How shall I know this? I mean, all of us are should be on the floor laughing. I mean, you know, because the, the implication that you know, the angels like, Come on, man, you don't know how to have a son, Zechariah. But really, Zechariah, his language and his tone is is so much like asking for some sort of sign. And and the funny or the humor is is that you know. The angel just told you what the sign is. You're going to have a son at an age when you and your wife should never have a son. But guess what? That is God's signature move. That is God all the way. That's his thumbprint. Of all people, Zechariah should have recognized God's signature move was going on in the angel's words in a kind of a flashing neon sign as he announces the promises, basically, that God had made to Abraham um, and Sarah, now being a part of what the angel is telling Zechariah and Elizabeth they're going to be a part of. And the angel, <laughs> the angel, I, I, you know, just uh, in my imagination, he's saying, this is the gospel, brother, get with the program. And the, the word gospel means good news. and And the angel literally says that I was sent to speak to you, and to bring you good news. Zechariah is not receiving this as good news. Zechariah is treating the angel like, I don't trust you, I don't believe it. And the angel says, I'm going to shut your mouth, my friend. You're going to shut your mouth until you have this baby. You see, Zechariah should at least be excited that an angel from heaven just told him to go home and have sex with his wife, right? But, But mostly but mostly Zechariah should be totally stoked that this is God's thumbprint, that this is God's signature move, and they're about to be a part of God's signature move. This is God's DNA all over the scene, an old couple having a baby, is is the way that God flashes his neon sign to say, I'm in this, this is me. There's no religion. There's no culture. There's nothing like this. There is absolutely nothing like this when it comes to whatever the world calls religion and religious documents. Anyhow, Zechariah. Zechariah is told you're going to shut your mouth, and you better get it done. And and, and you're not going to speak until you do. Go home. Have sex with your wife, Elizabeth, and see what happens. And then we're told, see what happens. See what happens. After these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived. See what happens? Prego. Elizabeth is Prego. And what's cool about Elizabeth is that she, unlike Sarah, she doesn't laugh at this. She cherishes the moment. She seems to get it. And and she's she's better than Zechariah. And she understands God is on the move. And she appreciates it. The Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from among people. She doesn't care that she's old. She's happy she's having a baby, and not only is she happy that she's having a baby, she's having a baby in a way that only God could make happen. She's all in on the plan. God is on the move. Exciting times are here, my friends. Well, anyhow, so the scene ends right there, and and what do we have to take away from well, first of all, we have a real-world experience. You see this all the time playing out in the Christian community. Unfortunately, the Christian community has too many leaders um, and too many people involved that, you know, honestly, they're stale. They've lost the excitement of, of the, the just the simple promise that God made to Abraham. And we should never lose excitement about the promise that God made to Abraham and how he builds a story from this oddly, you know, unrecognized people. And he builds a story of his promise that leads us to Jesus Christ. This is the substance of an amazing story. This is the substance of the greatest story ever played. And it's God who is playing it out. We should never grow stale. This is the good news. And the good news is more than just good news out there. It's good news for us because it's the real God who is really bringing his promised blessing into our lives even us we are being brought into this story to be a part of the effect of this story god's signature move that he began with abraham and sarah and now we see it playing out with zechariah and elizabeth god's signature move is the best story for us because it involves us and it gives us something to to emerge into and to be excited about and to give a fist pump about Because this story is leading to Jesus Christ and that too is the gospel that we should be fist pumping and uh, we should be always on guard that we're not growing stale like Zechariah. He's a good guy and there's plenty of good people, but they've they've grown stale in their love for God. Well, anyhow, that's that. We're going to end our time right here. We'll pick up again very soon.